Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, P. Vine, we're so glad that you're here today. And of course, Rossville, great to see you if you're joining us online. Uh, however many there are at Rossville, thanks for coming out and, uh, and gathering today in that location. Obviously, many of you watching online with your families, and we got, give or take, about 4,000 here in the room. And so a great crowd this morning. We're thrilled that so many have decided to get together. Grab your Bible with me today. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I heard the story uh, about a, a, a guy who worked in a produce department at a local grocery store. And uh, a lady walked in one day and she demanded uh, uh, half a head of lettuce. I want a half a head of lettuce. And he said, ma'am, you know, a, a whole head of lettuce is not that expensive. I mean, if you just buy a whole head of lettuce, you can take it home and cut it in half yourself. She said, listen, I came here for a half a head of lettuce. I'm not leaving till I get a half a head of lettuce. All right. And so he goes back to the butcher uh, department and talks to his butcher friend. He says, man, you got a knife I can borrow? He says, yeah, why? He said, well, I got this, hat, this head of lettuce. Some old bat just walked in demanding a half a head of lettuce. I got to cut this one in half. Well, he turned around and she was standing right behind him. <laughs> he said, and this sweet lady right here wants the other half. <laughs> you know, when I hear people stand up and say they're preaching the gospel or about to preach the gospel or deliver a sermon on the gospel. So many times I feel like I'm, I'm hearing half a gospel. And, and as a preacher of the gospel, I don't want to be guilty of preaching half a gospel. If a man stands up and says, you're a sinner and you need a savior and Jesus is it. And the only way you can have your sins forgiven is through Jesus. That is true. That's biblical. It ought to be preached. But if that's all that's preached, he's only preached half a gospel. If a man stands and says, listen, there is a hell and there's a heaven, both are real. And the only way to get into heaven is through Jesus because of what he did on Calvary. That's true. That should be communicated. Yes. But if that's all he says, he's only preached half a gospel. You see, the part of the gospel is yes, that you're a sinner. You need a savior. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. You got to have your sins forgiven. All that is true. But the message of the gospel is not just that Jesus wants to save your soul. It is also that Jesus intends to change your life. This is a life-changing Jesus that we've celebrated here this morning. Now, as soon as I say that, some people say, well, you know, that's the problem. I, 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 uh, I have some things in my life that I've got to change and uh, in order to come to Jesus, I, I've got some things I know that God doesn't approve of. And one day when I get those things straightened out, well, then maybe I'll give my life to Jesus. But to say I've got to get some things fixed and changed in my life in order to come to Jesus, is like saying I got to get cleaned up so I can go take a bath. You don't change and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he changes you. Then there's the other extreme that says, well, you know, Jesus loves me the way I am. And yes, he does. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. (laughs) You you know, it's like one wife who looked at her husband one time and said, you know, I love you for who you are, honey. 
and who you are is somebody that better change real quick. I, I mean, it's not quite like that. Jesus has more in it for you than that. There are facts, though, about life change in Jesus. And so I, I want to really just talk today about the ABCs of the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Something real happens when Jesus comes in as Lord and Savior. Something real happens when someone is redeemed or converted or, 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 or regenerated and becomes born again in Christ. And this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Verse 14 is where we'll be. Uh, first of all, he says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Your version may say new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for all those that have gathered here and in Rossville and online watching right now. I pray that you would touch us, keep us from distractions, unfold our hearts to truth, and unfold truth to our hearts. And may we literally never be the same. And may we also be more excited than ever to share this amazing Jesus with those who need Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So several things change when you come to Jesus according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First of all, A, your affections change when you come to Jesus. Your affections change. When someone gets saved, there's a change in your affections. Go to verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. Wow, strong language. For the love of Christ compels us. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, there's a love that clarifies my judgment. There's a love that influences my relationships. There's a love that guides my steps. There's a love that determines my decisions. There's a love that sets my schedule. There's a love that controls my life. You, you say, Scott, that's where I have a hard time with this Jesus thing. I mean, man, I can't imagine loving the things of God that much. I mean, I can't imagine having a love that's that strong for church. I can't imagine loving uh, prayer that much, loving the Bible that much. I can't imagine loving right living that much. I can't imagine even loving Jesus that much. Well, this is where you've got it all wrong. If that's what you're thinking, see, you've got to understand that the love that compels us, the love that drives us, the love he's talking about, is not a love that you generate. It's a love that he creates. It's not a love that you work up. It's a love that he puts in. <laughs> there, there, there's, a, there's a difference. You, you know, some of you um, can't imagine maybe a love welling up inside of you that you didn't generate on your own, but, but you don't understand. Those kinds of, of affections, there are illustrations in real life. You're thinking, man, that would never happen in the real world. It's already happened in some respects in your life. 
I'll give you one illustration. I'll talk to the guys right now. Women don't, don't listen. Uh, guys, do, do you remember when you thought, a time in your life, when you thought girls were good for nothing more than a spitball target? Do you, do you remember that time? Do you remember that face? You're like fifth grade, whatever. You didn't like girls. Well, I know, I, know, I know in fifth grade we did have times where we would like be boyfriend and girlfriend or we were going together and, and that kind of thing. I, I get it. But we had priorities. If it really came down to holding hands or playing with trucks, it's Tonka time. All right? Y'all with me? And, and, and so, so, but you get a little bit older and all of a sudden things begin to change. Maybe you remember the time. I don't know. You were at recess with some of your guy friends that you were hanging out with at recess and all of a sudden... Susie walks by with her golden ponytail swaying in the morning sun. Now, two days ago, all you want to do is pick on Susie, rip them ponytails out by the roots you were trying, but now all of a sudden she's walking by, and it's like all of a sudden there's, there's an attraction that wasn't there before. You, you push your friends aside. You get off the swing set. You got places to go. You got people to see. Her name is Susie. This is called puberty. Are y'all, are y'all tracking? You didn't have to read a book on 12 steps to liking girls. You didn't have to hear a sermon from your pastor on why you ought to like the opposite sex. Your mama did not have to sit you down and tell you that girls are pretty and soft and worth your time. That did not have to happen. Something happened naturally on the inside. It wasn't work from the outside in. It was work from the inside out, an affection that was not there before. Think about who was writing this very passage talking about the love of Christ compels us. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. He used to be public enemy number one of the church, Saul. He had an affection for advancing the anti-gospel Phariseeism. He had an affection for throwing Christians in jail and signing off on their death. He had an affection for personal position and prestige. But one day on a dirt road to Damascus, he had a head-on collision with Jesus, and he got saved. What happened to Saul? He became Paul. He became the man that would write most of the New Testament. He became the man that was, that was the, 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 the number one apostle for the church. He became the man that became the greatest missionary to ever walk the planet, and he took the gospel to the Gentiles, which is why Pevine even exists today. That man met Jesus, and that man changed. What happened to Saul that would make the difference? What happened to him that would change his heart? What happened that would put a Niagara Falls gusher inside of his heart for the Bible and for Scripture, for the Holy Spirit, for the people of God that he used to persecute? Jesus happened to him, and Jesus made all the difference. He put a new affection in his heart. Amen. Here Paul went in one day from being preoccupied with opposing Jesus to being occupied with the Jesus he opposed. And that made all the difference. See, one thing that I've noticed in genuine salvation experience, when people are really saved, they give the heart to Jesus. Here's what you'll notice. They begin to love what they used to hate, and they begin to hate what they used to love. If somebody says, oh, I love Jesus, but they don't have time for prayer, they don't have time for church, they don't have time for holiness, they don't have time to share the faith, they don't have time for the things of God, something wrong. Because throughout Scripture, you'll see one of the first things that Jesus changes when he changes a life is that affections change when we come to Jesus. That's A. B. Not only do our affections change, but B, our behavior changes when we come to Jesus. Our behavior changes when we come to Christ. Go back with me to verse 15. Verse 15 says, And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Those who live should live no longer. By the way, the word live there means a manner of behaving and acting. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
You, you say, Scott, that's why I, I haven't received Christ. I can't imagine living for him, living for God. All my behavior aligning with his lordship and his kingship in my life and the word of God. I mean, man, I got some addictions I can't break. I got some friends I can't say no to. I, I got some temper I can't control. I got some mouth I can't clean up. Man, I can't imagine that kind of change. I can't change like that. See, again, you've got the focus on the wrong thing. It's not just that when you get Jesus, you get Jesus. It's that Jesus gets you. <laughs> I heard the story one time about this guy. He swore he had the best hunting dog in the county. And, and somebody challenged him, said, you keep bragging on that dog. What makes you think you've got the best hunting dog in the county? He said, listen, when I'm in the woods with my dog, and, and even if he's sight unseen, I can't see him. If he's trapped something, cornered something, treed something, he'll tell me what he's caught by the way he barks. He's got a different bark for every animal. One guy said, man, you're going to have to prove that. I mean, you've been hyping this for a long time. You've got to show me. And the hunter said, come to my house. I'll show you. My dog's the best hunting dog in the county. So he went over to his house, and they went on the back deck, which the man's house backed up to the woods there. And the hunter sent his dog there into the woods. And so the dog goes into the woods. 10, 15 minutes later, he hears, they hear the dog barking. Burr, burr, burr. His friend looked at him and said, what's he got? He said, mm, that's a squirrel bark. He's got a squirrel. The dog comes out a few minutes later, back to the porch. There's a squirrel in his teeth. His friend said, well, considering the number of squirrels there are in the woods, the chances are that's what he'd get anyway. Come on, man. Send him back. Let's try it again. Sends the dog back in the woods. A few minutes later, they hear this. He said, what's he got? He said, that's a fox. He's got a fox. Oh, you'd be lucky if he's got a fox. Well, sure enough, the dog comes out of the woods 10 or 12 minutes later. He's got a fox in his teeth. The man says, you know what, Hunter, you might be right. You might have the best hunting dog in the county. Send him back one more time. And he sends the dog back in the woods. A few minutes later, he hears this. Burr, burr, burr. His friend looked at him and said, what's he got now? He said, nothing. Something got him. <laughs> hey, listen, the great news about the gospel, the great news about Jesus, it's not just that you get a hold of Jesus, but that Jesus gets a hold of you. And when the Jesus King of glory gets a hold of you, you'll never bark the same again. Amen. Friend, Jesus changes life. Look, listen, turn, turn, turn to the, oh, you don't even have to turn there. I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, the Greek, the Greek for that means the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's what it means. And then it says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says, and such were some of you. See, see there's some people that are watching right now online. There's some people in this room right now that would say, that was me. That was my life. At one time, a life I'm embarrassed about, a life full of regret, a life full of pain that I inflicted on myself and others. A life, that was me. But Jesus, amen, but God made the difference. Here's what it says. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the spirit of Jesus and our God. Hallelujah. But Jesus made the difference. I, I often preach area-wide crusades in some places, and, and I started using video testimonies in some of those services. And one of the ones that I found, I'm, I was, I'm so excited every, every time I share it. It's about a missionary in the Middle East, undisclosed country, who was contacted by a Muslim to meet 
and, and talk about this message he'd been preaching. Now, the Muslim was not friendly. He was not excited. As a matter of fact, he was angry, and he was a bona fide, outspoken leader in ISIS. The missionary said, I agreed to meet with him knowing I may not return home that night. They met, they had, they had a, a, an interesting conversation. The, 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 Islam, the, the Islamists was irate, and, and, uh, and they exchanged, but the, the, the missionary stayed calm. He talked about Jesus, and they parted ways. Once again, the ISIS member reached out to him and asked to meet again. They agreed on a time and a place, and the missionary said, I knew it was unlikely I would live. He was probably going to come to kill me. But he decided to meet anyway. Between the time that they agreed to meet, And they actually met. God spoke to that ISIS member in a dream and basically said, everything that missionary is saying is true. And under conviction of the Holy Spirit, that ISIS member met that that missionary, admitted he was on his way to kill him till God had spoke to him about the truth of what he'd been saying. And he gave his heart to Jesus with that missionary. Today, that former ISIS member is one of the greatest evangelists for the gospel and is winning other Muslims to Christ in that country. It's amazing what Jesus can do. I've seen a video recently where somebody showed me a whole choir of singers, all of them men, and they're singing a praise song that you would recognize in this room. The interesting thing about this choir that I was watching as they lifted their hands and praised Jesus with tattoos all over their body and on their faces were 100% of them, all of them in that choir, were former members of a gang known as MS-13. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus can do what no government program can do. Jesus can do what no police or government initiative can do or amount of money can do. Jesus can do what, listen, only Jesus can change a heart. And when you're looking around this nation with some of the cities on fire and everybody fighting over politics and mass, I'm telling you at the end of the day, the main thing and really the only thing that America needs is a change of hearts. And the only thing that can change a heart is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Jesus that we sing in praise today. Amen. Do you realize that as one of the rare gospel-driven churches in Georgia and even America under the leadership of your pastor, that you are literally stewarding the spiritual smart bomb that could change the trajectory of a region, a state, or a nation, and it's called the gospel of Jesus. This same Jesus. Folks, I want you to understand. Think about it. Think about who you get. When you get Jesus, when you get Christ as your Savior, King and Lord, to live inside of you, you get the same Jesus that calmed the storm with the word. You get the same Jesus that walked on the water. You get the same Jesus that opened blinded eyes and healed lame legs. You get the same Jesus that resurrected Lazarus out of a four-day grave, and he himself got up out of his own. He is the same Jesus. Don't water this down. Don't tame this lion. He is the same Jesus today that he was when this book was written. You mean to tell me that he doesn't have the power to calm your temper? You mean to tell me that he can't change your character? That he can't clean up your mouth? That he can't change your life? I'm telling you, he's Jesus. He is the expressed image of the living God and the creator of all things. Amen. That's Jesus we talk about. That's Jesus we celebrate in every song talked about his power to change this morning. I'm telling you, he wants to change your life. He wants to change your spouse's life. He wants to change your kids' lives. He wants to change your neighbor's life. He wants to change Peabine City and every heart in it, and he wants to use you to do it. And if you don't know him, he can change your life today. Why did you say, Scott, why did you just now say that he's the expressed image of the living God and the creator of all things? 
for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says it repeatedly. And number two, it has everything to do with the message. Because verse 17 is probably the definitive verse in the whole Bible about the power of Jesus to change a life. A lot of you memorized it in Sunday school. Here's the verse, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The word there is translated creation. He's a new creation. I'm telling you, listen, if Jesus can speak the worlds into existence with a spoken word, if he can stand on nothing and create everything, he can put a new heart in anybody he wants to save. A new creation. And in case you misunderstand him, he clarifies what he means. He's a new creation if he's in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. Now, a new creation. But I like the translation that some translators use where they say it's a new creature. He's a, you're a new creature. Now, here's what I've noticed about creatures. Every creature acts in accordance to its own nature and not the nature of another creature. Fish act like fish, not dogs and cats. Cats act like cats, not dogs or fish. Birds act like birds, not fish or cats or dogs. Every creature acts in accordance to its own nature. I heard a story one time about this guy who said his dog could talk, talk like a human. I have a talking dog. So he goes to Hollywood. He says, you need to put my dog in movies. They said, why? He said, because my dog's a talking dog. Well, the Hollywood producer said, all right, I might put you in movies if he can really talk, but you're going to have to prove it to me. All right, I'll prove it. My dog can talk. Rover, how does this carpet feel underneath your backside? Rover said, rough. Rover, what is this on top of this ceiling over this on top of the building? What do you call that? Dog said, roof. Rover, tell the man, who is the greatest baseball player of all time? And the dog said, Ruth. Well, the Hollywood executive gets up from his desk. He walks around. He grabs the man by the collar. He grabs the dog by the collar. And he throws him out in the street. And the dog looked at the owner and said, maybe on that last question, I should have said DiMaggio. But, but, but anyway, why, why do we laugh? Because dogs don't talk. Every creature acts in accordance to its own nature. Oh, no, Scott. Parrots talk like people if they, if they hear them long enough. Yeah, but listen, even that, he's acting in accordance to his own nature because it is the nature of parrots to mimic what they hear. Every creature acts in accordance to its own nature. And when you got saved, you got a new heart. You became a new creature. And as a new creature, guess what? You want to study the Bible. You want to live a holy life. You want to please Jesus. You want to walk in, in sync with his will. You want to. That new heart wants to. But here's what I found. We still have flesh. And sometimes that new creature can try to go an old way. And when you get a new creature to go an old way, we used to call it backsliding. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but what it means is you begin to adopt old ways of thinking, old ways of atti and attitudes, old ways of operating. What happens is you're trying to get one creature to act like a creature it's not anymore. And when you get one creature to act like another creature, you got a miserable creature on your hands. You, you, want, you want to make a dog mad at you? Try to get him to moo like a cow. You want to get a cow upset? Try to make him do dog tricks. It don't work. Every creature acts in accordance to its own nature. And when you're a new creature acting like the old one you used to be, you're miserable. There's a lot of people that go to church and are miserable. A lot of people that are Christians on their way to heaven, but miserable. A lot of people got their sins washed away, but they're miserable. Why? Because you're a new creature trying to act like the old one. You're not anymore. How do you fix that? They used to blast uh, Billy Sunday for preaching too hard. One day a man walked up to Billy Sunday after a service and said, man, you, you, you preaching so hard, you rubbing that cat the wrong way. Billy Sunday said, then turn the cat around. 
How many of you know there are times in my life and there's times in your life where we just need to turn the cat around? We're, we're a new creature, but we're going the wrong direction. And so he reminds us, hey, listen, you're a new creation. A new heart has been put in you. You're like Jesus, and the Jesus lives inside of you. But your lifestyle is not congruent with your new identity. Turn the cat around. Why? Because when Jesus came into your life, he changed your behavior. He changed your affections because he made you a new creation in Jesus. But not only does Jesus change your behavior, but he also changes C, your communications. A, affections. B, behavior. C, communication. Go with me to verse 19, verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5. And it says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has given us the word or given us the message. He's given us the message of reconciliation. Now then... Now, now then, in other words, based on verse 19, here comes verse 20. Now then. Now then, it's kind of an oxymoron. Now then. It's kind of like plastic glasses. <laughs> Fresh, frozen. Postal service. <laughs> Congressional leadership. Okay, that's enough. That's... Now then... We are ambassadors. Now, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that when they show up on the scene, they are not there to advance their own agenda or say what they want to say. They are there to say what they were sent to say. And they represent another that is not there in the moment. And he says, look, we're ambassadors. We got something to say. But here's what he clarifies. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, he doesn't just change your affections. He doesn't just change your behavior. He changes your communication. In other words, the greatest thing that you could think to tell and the greatest thing you'd want to tell is the fact that we are sinners, but Jesus is a Savior. We were lost, but he makes us found. There was no way out of hell, but Jesus made a way himself that he is the risen son of the living God and the Savior of the world. There's no greater story to tell. All of a sudden, it changes everything. Well, Brother Scott, now that I'm saved, do I have to share Jesus? No, honey, you don't have to. You get to. It's not a duty. It's a privilege. Amen. People say, well, I'm saved, but I don't like sharing my faith with other people. I, and then they spiritualize it. I just don't feel led. Well, get the lead out. Listen, you don't have to. You get to. It's, it's, it's not something hyper-spiritual. It's just a phenomenon. That, that, that happens. I, I've seen it happen before. See, I, I'm three months into grandparenthood. I, I, have, I have my first grandchild. And one of the things that I made up my mind ahead of time about with, with grandbaby on the way is I was not going to lose my mind like what happens to most grandparents. I'm telling you, grand, grandparents are crazy people. Crazy people. I mean, they, they say stupid things. My, my mom never said such stupid things till she became a grandparent. She says things like, I love my grandkids so much, I wish I'd have had them first. <laughs> Crazy. Well, one day I'm, I'm at my mom's house, Sunday afternoon, she's cooked a great meal, I'm now reading the paper, she's cleaning up, she's standing at the sink washing dishes, looking out the window musing, and she says, Scott, I've been thinking, you know what grandkids are? I said, what? She said, do you know what grandkids are? I said, no, mom, what are grandkids? She said, grandkids are God's reward for not killing you they're crazy and I was like I'm not gonna go crazy when I have my grandkids they're crazy 
I, I mean, I remember the day when my mama went from being mama to grandmama. She went from being mom to grandmom. She went from being mother to grandmother. Let me tell you, church, there is a difference. Not even the same people. Oh, they look the same. They, they act the same, but they're not the same people. Listen, mama is the one that if you just look at a piece of chocolate or a can of Coca-Cola within two hours of bedtime, she will wear your behind out for just thinking about it. Grandmama is the one that while she's putting them into bed, will pour the chocolate and the Coke down their throat. And while they're acting like a caffeinated chimpanzee, she wants to spank you for wanting to spank your own kids. Who are you and what did you do with my real mama? I remember when the first grandchild was born 22 years ago, she went from being mama to being grandmama. All of a sudden, these grandmama hormones started racing through her body. This grandmama instinct that had all her life lain dormant began to rear its ugly head. It began to force her by its very nature to march down to J.C. Penney and purchase one of those fancy wallets with 875,243 picture holders in it so she could walk up to complete strangers and sit them down for two hours whether they wanted to hear it or not so she could show them, so she could display for them, so she could reveal to them how perfect, how beautiful, how innocent, how precious, how sweet her little grandbaby is. Some years later, there came Facebook, (laughs) Facebook, (laughs) where you can put pictures. Oh my gosh, it shouldn't even be called Facebook, dear Lord Jesus. It ought to be called Grandma Book. My mom was like, I'll never get a smartphone. I'm fine with my dumb phone. I don't like computers and smartphones. I'm not going to get a smartphone. Then somebody said one day, guess what? If you get a smartphone, you can put 875,243 pictures of your grandbabies on it. Smartphone! (laughs) Listen, you don't have to beg grandma to talk about them grandbabies. Why? Basic psychology. What you love most, you talk about most. So when Jesus saves a life, communication changes. As a matter of fact, Jesus went so far in Matthew chapter 12 to say, for every idle word, men will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, is Jesus teaching that you'll go to heaven based on what you say or don't say? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, that would be a works salvation. That is not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is, you'll know them by their fruit, because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He's basically saying this, you can tell whether or not somebody's going to heaven, or you can tell whether or not somebody's going to hell by what they will or will not say. So you don't got to, you get to. We got time to talk about Trump. We got time to talk about politics. We got time to talk about COVID and masks. Do we have time to tell people? who need to know Jesus, about how they can know Jesus. The Jesus that changes their affections. The Jesus that can change their behavior. The Jesus that can change and will change their communication. See, Scott, these are some radical changes. Yes, because we serve a radical Jesus. And he's still saving souls today. I mean, what happened to the guy in prison who went to jail for murder and now he's leading the biggest Bible study in prison? What happened to the good man that thought he had it all together, but he realized he was just walking in better flesh than somebody else that got saved, and now he leads his family in daily Bible study? What happened to the mom who was struck out on on pain pills and just trying to get and impress her neighbors and friends with how much money she could make, but all of a sudden now she's pouring into the church and service in her community? What happened? Jesus happened. 
Not psychological reprogramming, not, not, not some, some, some life rehabilitation program. Jesus happened, and Jesus made all the difference. How is this even possible? What, what makes it possible for Jesus to come into a life and make that kind of a change? It's because of a transaction that was made on your behalf. Probably the greatest gospel verse in all the New Testament. If this is the only gospel verse you know, it's a lie. And it's verse 21 that says this, God made him, God made Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Watch this. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we sinners could become the righteousness of God in him. You say, I love that verse, Scott. It sounds very profound, but I do not understand it. Let me give an illustration. Uh, for you that are still in high school, do, uh, do they still give you report cards? Or did they do away with those two to save your self-esteem? <laughs> we, we got report cards. And I was a decent kid. I was a decent student, right? I mean, I, I, made, I made B's, C's, A's. Mama did not like C's. She did not smile on C's, never did, no matter how hard the class. I uh, got in trouble for C's. D's, occasionally I made them. One time, one time I made a, <laughs> I made a, I, I can't even say it without my fanny hurting, F. Son, I'm telling you, it was bad news when I got an F. I learned over time to make good grades. The bad grades weren't worth it. I got a report card every day, every, at the end of the quarter that I would get my report card, I would look at my report card to see how bad my whooping was going to be, I mean, how bad my grades were today. Sometimes I'd see A, A is good, yay, I made an A. B, B, B is good, mom would like to see that B. C, uh-oh, C, uh-oh, B, uh-oh, D, mm, another D. One time it was, it's horrible. Now I'm about to get on the bus ride home, longest bus ride of my life. I'm sitting up there, fourth grade, I'm sitting in the seat. I got a report card sitting on my leg, burning a hole in my britches. I am praying. I'm going to tell you something. I got spiritual on report card day. So I was a spiritual kid. And I wouldn't pray like fourth grade prayers. I'm talking about I'd pray adult size, big word, theologically accurate prayers with passion. I would pray, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you are the sovereign head of the universe and that you have the power to move the molecules of ink around on the paper into a more favorable shape. For the sake of my butt, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. And then I'd, 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 I'd open to see if my prayers had any effect. B, D, 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 C, C, F. Oh, I'm an atheist. I mean, it was terrible. I found that no matter how much I wished, I could go back and study a little bit harder for that test. I found that no matter how much I wish, I could go back and talk less in class. It got me a D in conduct. I found that no matter how much I wish I could live that quarter again, I would try harder. And I meant it. I was sincere. If I just had one more chance, I promise you, I would do better. No matter how much that was really in my heart, I found that that, that, that report card always did what it was bound by its nature to do. It always accurately reflected my effort and progress in the classroom to the eyes of my mama who had to see it to sign it. Do you understand that on this earth, 
The Bible says every word, every deed, and every secret thing will be brought into judgment, Ecclesiastes 12. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If your life and mine was a report card, guess what it would say? Failing. We wouldn't make it in. Jesus, however, lived on this earth for 33 years, fully God yet fully man, and he never sinned one time. Not one thought out of turn, not one word that shouldn't have been said, not one deed that he wasn't supposed to do. 100% congruence with the complete perfect will of God. That's all Jesus ever lived. If you were to read a report card on Jesus' life, here's what it would say. A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus. And by the way, that is the minimum that heaven requires for you to get in. That is the minimum that God requires to have a relationship with him and even have your prayers heard. Only Jesus met the qualifications. But the Bible says in verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him who knew no sin, A plus, to be sin for us so that we might become the A plus in him. You know what God does? When a person says, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I admit that and I repent. Lord, I believe that you are the risen Christ in the only way of salvation. When a, when a person says, I confess you as my Savior and my Lord, and they give the heart to Jesus in salvation, God does something that no school system can or ever will do. God writes your name on Jesus' report card. And so when you get to heaven, and God picks up the report card with your name on it, and he opens it, it says A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus. A plus. And God says, looks like you did just fine. Come on in. Because God writes your name on Jesus' report card. But I don't want you to miss the other side of the equation because when God writes your name on Jesus' report card, listen, God writes his name on yours. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross with our grades. He died on the cross and he took the full wrath of God as if he sinned our sins, as if he made our mistakes, as if he thought our thoughts, as if he said our words, as if he did our deeds, as if, as if he committed our own sins, and he paid for our sins on the cross. That's what the Bible means. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And righteousness is not merely positional, but it also shows up in our affections, righteousness in our behavior, righteousness in our communication, because the risen Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead still lives to change our lives today. Can we bow our heads all over the room there in Rossville, watching online, even if you're sitting in your living room or at a desk with a computer open, I, I want you just to bow your head right now, please, and pray. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Now, if you have done this, I want you to pray for everyone who hasn't. Just pray for those who are watching and listening that haven't. But if that's you and you say, Scott, I can't say that there's ever been a time in my life where my affections shifted and changed, where my behavior truly lastingly changed, where my communication changed. I don't show the evidences of being saved and born again. How do I do that? Would you right now, A, admit that you're a sinner and repent and say, I own my sin. My sin separates me from you and I want it out of my life. I want it forgiven. 
I want to be justified. What does that mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. Believe, be. Would you say, Lord, I believe that you're the Savior of the world, that your blood is enough to cleanse me of sin, that your, your, your spirit is enough to change my life and my behavior, my actions, my thoughts, and you can create real change in me today. I believe that. And then see, I confess you as Savior and Lord. And the Bible says whoever calls or confesses that, calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So would you confess that? Say, Lord, I confess you as my Savior, my King, my Lord, and I give you my life right now. Would you just say that to him? I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you're the Savior, and I confess you as my Savior and Lord right now. I repent, and I put my life in your hands. And the Bible says that he puts you in Christ, and if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you, if you were to bring that sin up, Lord, do you remember what I did yesterday as a sin? God say, I don't even remember it. I'm putting it out of memory. I'm putting it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to text, I did, to 97,000. Just text, I did, I did, to 97,000. And we want to make a record of your decision. A couple things. If you're isolated in your decision, I promise you the devil will beat you up. And he will do everything he can to fight that. And so that one single contact with us, letting us know that you made that decision, is a way for us to come in and pray for you. And one, not everybody, just one person will reach out. There'll be some connection so that we can be praying for you, so that we can encourage you, so we can help you grow in your faith. And so Satan will lose a little less a little less of that battle as you'll know that a church is praying for you and standing in the gap for you. Do that right now. If you're a person who says, Scott, I'm the miserable one. I know I'm a new creation. I know God did that in my life. But there's some things in my life that reflect the old ways, not the new way, my old creature self, not my new creature self. Some things in my affections, some things I love that are of this world. Some things in my behavior that don't please God. Some, some things in my communication that don't reflect the gospel. And I just want to freshly give my life to Jesus as a Christian. I want to just kind of come back to the foot of that cross. Would you right where you sit, would you pray that prayer of rededication right now? Would you say, Lord, just may my affections, what I love, reflect you more than anything. May my behavior and my choices and my reactions and responses to others reflect me, you more than anything. And may, may people from my communication, from the words that come out of my mouth, may they not doubt, whether it's on social media or verbally, may they not doubt that Jesus has changed my life and that he controls my tongue and that he owns my words. I'm bought with a price. I belong to him. Lock, stock, and barrel. Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Lord, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice right now online at Ross, Rossville and here in this room and I pray in Jesus name that you'd revive us that you draw us close and turn us out as ambassadors for you as though God himself were pleading through us to our workplace pleading through us in our schools pleading through us in our homes pleading through us in our neighborhood be reconciled to God that ourselves as receivers of the message would carry the message to Pevine City and beyond and may we see the tide turn because Jesus is risen. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus changes lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. 
For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.